Welcome to In the News Show. I am your host, Judy Desagatis, and I'm here with my co-host, Father Bill Weary. Hello, Father Bill, and hello, listeners. Hello, Judy, and hello, everybody. Nice to be here. Yes, it's good to be here. I'd like to thank Joe Nebistinsky for our technical assistance and David Hillowis for our theme music. So let's get started. There's a lot in the news. Um, the big news is what happened this past Friday, which was the feast of the solemnity of the fe- of the Sacred Heart, where thousands gathered in defense of Christ as the L.A. Dodgers honor a blasphemous dra- drag nuns group. And I think this was called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And they were invited by the L.A. Dodgers to uh, receive a Heroes Award prior to the game that was taking place that day. And I guess there's no coincidence that it was held on the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart. And originally what happened was, was the L.A. Dodgers administration then kind of rescinded it and said, no, we're, we're not going to have it. And then under pressure, um, kind of caved and decided to have them. Um, my understanding is when I looked up the article as to, you know, when it happened afterwards, uh, it was the stadium was kind of empty. They did receive this Heroes Award, but there were thousands of people on the streets uh, around the stadium Um, led by Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, uh, praying the rosary and honoring the Sacred Heart in uh, in protest to this blasphemous group. Do you have anything to add about that, Father? It was, uh, I call it Heart Weekend at my parish, because the Immaculate Heart of Mary was the next day. Amen. On Saturday, and this is egregious. I'm happy for the protesters, and the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops are on record as protesting this this terrible uh, denigration of the faith and mockery of religious life as well. It's true what you said, Judy, that there were uh, you know not a lot of people. It was uh, it was before the game, and a significant amount of time before the game, so there were not a lot of people um, in the stadium. Um, and I don't know what the reaction, I didn't hear any reaction from the people in the stadium, if, was, if there were any boos or anything like that. I don't, I don't know. But, uh, yes, I, I just, uh, really hope that they cease and desist from this, that they are deterred from doing this by, uh, the protest by people of the faith. And, uh, certainly there are, there is such a thing as First Amendment rights, we get that, but this disrespect is beyond the pale and, uh, certainly needs to be denounced. Yes, amen to that. And of note, I mean, definitely, this is certainly blasphemous against Catholics. But according to the article on LifeSite News, it also shows that there were also Protestants and Jews there as well. So this is very offensive to uh, many religions as well as uh, just Catholics. So we hope that there was commentary along those lines from non-Catholics. That is correct. uh, All all people of religion, Muslims have uh, there's some Muslim groups that have protested as well. And that's good to see that solidarity among people of faith against this disrespect. Yes, and I'm also seeing the article that it took place at 3 p.m. on the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart. So, uh, you know, in the protest, I mean, in protest to the to what was going on. So it was at an appropriate time, um, as we know, 3 p.m., the hour of mercy. So um, we hope that that Jesus was pleased that all these people protested. And I think it's a, a testament to uh, uh, Catholics and other religions that did participate or even participated in prayer. People were encouraged to pray the Litany of the Sacred Heart at that time or, or any time during the hours that this protest was taking place. 
Um, it really shows that people are rising up and that there is a force, uh, you know, a force for good to be reckoned with rather than just let it happen and, uh, and not protest Certainly. at all. It's certainly not family content. You wonder what the effect uh, would, that would have on children in this in the stadium. Right. You know this, this kind of this kind of a twisted approach to things, this uh, twisted mockery. I, most people would not want their children to be there seeing that. And uh, this is not general for the general public. This this is perpetual indulgence at all. They're not doing it at a bar or a nightclub. They're doing it right out in the open, right in public at a sports stadium. So reprehensible. Right. And uh, the other thing that of note, too, is that some of the Dodger players and other players also denounced the invitation of these uh, quote-unquote nuns. So the players weren't, weren't on board either. Good for them. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. And I did read that as, as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just wanted to mention this might be a little bit of a PSA announcement since we had just celebrated the uh, Solemnity of the Sacred Heart and the Memorial of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Um, I know, Father, you're you're familiar with this, but I just want to you know mention it again to our listeners. Uh, maybe it is a little bit of a PSA, but I think it's so important in these times. Um, I've been active in a ministry since 2006 um, in Philadelphia called the Enthronement by Parish Ministry, and it's whereby we uh, engage pastors um, and deacons at various parishes in the area or anywhere, really, um, to encourage them to have an enthronement weekend at their parish or parishes uh, whereby there are beautiful pictures of Jesus and Mary uh, in the form of the sacred and the immaculate heart are given out and a talk is given. Usually I'm the person who, who gives the talk and my husband Jim is involved in the ministry as well. We hand out packets and people can take these beautiful pictures home and then they can enthrone their home to the immaculate heart and the, enthrone the, to the sacred heart and consecrate to the immaculate heart in their home. But what we're doing it is at the parish level. So everyone that comes in for masses that weekend on that particular weekend designated by the past is uh, receiving this packet and receiving these prayers and um, putting the parishes under the protection of Jesus's sacred heart and Mary's immaculate heart. So if there's pastors listening out there or uh, parishioners, and we hope there's lots of people listening to the show, um, and I'm always grateful for our listeners who do listen, um, you can always give the station a call and they can get in touch with me. Um, our number here is 717-525-8110. If this is something you'd like to have in your parish, um, I'd be happy to talk to any pastors that might be interested. And I know, Father Bill, um, we came to your parishes uh, several years ago. Um, and I think it's quite efficacious in these times to uh, dedicate these parishes and the parishioners and our hearts to the twin hearts because we really need Jesus and Mary's protection right now. That's a great idea. And yes, we had a good experience with that with you. And I've, I've done the enthronement in individual homes, which is also a very wonderful thing to do. Um, we get the whole family together and and uh, of course exalting the, the picture on the wall and blessing it and uh, that's but this parish based ministry approach is is very very good and very effective and beneficial congratulations to you on that oh thank you father it's it's been a pleasure to and a joy to be able to bring this uh to the parishes um we've had several that we've done in this diocese of Harrisburg but we'd certainly would like to do more um, it's really seamless. Uh, we do all the work. We uh, collect the packets at the end. We take all the donations, which are funneled back into the ministry. We don't keep the money. We just use it to buy more packets and bring it to other parishes. 
So um, it makes it really easy on uh, the pastor and the deacons and anyone who, you know, even the secretaries, it's, it makes it very easy to set up. So um, please call the station if you're interested and they can get in touch with me to be happy to get in touch with anyone who might be interested in having this. So moving along, here's a, a very positive thing. We want to kind of counter that, that first story, which was a little uh, deep with um, several weeks ago, um, actually this was probably in May, on the vigil of Pentecost, thousands gathered in Times Square for a Eucharistic procession in New York City. And that was very, um, very exciting to, uh, to see this. This is uh, in what many are calling, this is according to the National Catholic Register, many are calling the largest Eucharistic procession ever held in New York City, Thousands of people took to the streets reciting prayers and singing songs, and this was on the Vigil of Pentecost. And we also wow. know that, that uh, two weeks after that, many processions took place on Corpus Christi, but I, um, even though this article is a little bit, you know, three weeks old, I wanted to mention it because I think it's a real positive, especially in a city um, as big as New York City and one that has been certainly challenged of late uh, with um, uh, not not always following the 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 Catholic or the uh, letting people freely express their religion. So this was nice to see at Times Square, you know, where all the, the roads meet, that this was a big uh, procession organized by a Hispanic Catholic Charismatic Center located in the Bronx, which is part of the wow. St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church. And um, the participants started at Father Duffy Square in Times Square. And then after two hours, this was a two-hour procession, praise God, that the process, procession ended at St. Patrick's Cathedral where Mass was celebrated. That's fabulous. We did, a, uh, we did our second outdoor Eucharistic procession here at, the, at my parish, Sacred Heart Lewistown, on June 11th, the Feast of the Solemnity of, the, of, the, of Corpus Christi. And we uh, went around the block, and we even had... Uh, some people make a canopy, a four-poster canopy, uh, that, uh, of course, housed the Blessed Sacrament. I, I, carried, I carried the monstrance, and we had a good showing of people right through downtown Lewistown. I mm -hmm. got a lot of positive comments on that. And this thing in New York City is just uh, fabulous. That is, that is a real step in the right direction. And I think that there are graces and blessings that go out with that sort of honoring of the Blessed Sacrament publicly. And uh, people, Catholic and non-Catholic alike, I believe, get graced with uh, special blessings when, when that happens. And it can only be for the good. And it chases away the demons, chases away the devils. They hate it. And uh, you, you just can't beat it. And, and things like the enthronement of the Sacred Heart, the blessing of the homes, which I do, uh, just chases away the evil, the darkness, and brings in the light. Yes, amen to that. Um... And I just want to mention one other article that was in National Catholic Register. We have about two minutes to go in our first segment um, about this woman. And again, this is the power of adoration and the power of the Eucharist um, and the, the um, real presence in the, the Blessed Sacrament. Um, and I love the title of this article. It's uh, about a woman. She wrote, I was Jewish, then Protestant, now Catholic. And here's why the Holy Eucharist strikes me so powerfully. And she said that it was the uh, being in front of the Blessed Sacrament is just one of the many reasons why she entered the church. And it's stating that on May 20th, she took part in a Eucharistic procession that made its way through Washington, D.C., uh, past the White House and other centers of power in our nation's capital. And um, people were kneeling. Uh, so this is another another reason. But she had actually started. Uh, she moved from Judaism through Protestantism to the Catholic Church Fabulous. And, and she was struggling with the understanding about the Holy Eucharist. 
Um, yeah. And through these Eucharistic processions, she really uh, became to love the Blessed Sacrament, understand the real presence, and now is a Catholic. I'm thinking of the exa- the story of Judy Bloom. Also, she was publisher of a magazine called The Catholic Evangelist for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And she was a convert to the faith and also had a profound experience before the exposed Blessed Sacrament that uh, instigated her conversion to the faith as well. And uh, no doubt about it, the uh, truth of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist is a real draw. I mean, some, you know, not uh, many do, do not buy into it. But I also, I've always said I don't see how you can read John 6, the Bread of Life discourse. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no life within you. I don't see how you can read that not believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. But here we are in the Eucharistic Revival, second year. Uh, the second year is actually focused on parish ministry and parish emphasis on the Eucharist. So hopefully this will bring many conversions and many people back to the faith as well, who have left. And with that, we finish up our first segment. Uh, please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In the News Show. We're here for our second segment. And um, one of the things that we like to do in, on the, in the news show is we like to look ahead and see what special feast days and memorials are coming up. And we have a very uh, special day on Thursday, the 22nd, um, which will be, you know, within the listening time of this segment. And it's um, not only St. Paulinus of Nova, but St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More. Um, Father, share with us um, your your understanding of of St. Thomas More, and you have some things to uh, to share with us. Well, uh, if you're listening on the June 22nd, uh, you're listening on the feast of St. John Fisher and Thomas More, and Thomas More is my favorite saint, and I've got a big portrait of him uh, in my sitting room on the wall, and uh, he was an English martyr, 16th century, had been Lord Chancellor of England under King Henry VIII, very close to the king, uh, but he in conscience could not go conscience could not go along with the king's uh, marriage to Anne Boleyn. He had basically divorced uh, his and abandoned his wife, Queen Catherine, Henry VIII did, and took up with uh, Anne Boleyn. Uh, Thomas More could not countenance that, and also could not go along with the oath of supremacy, which was a few years, a year or two later, whereby the king declared himself head of the church in England um, over the Pope, um, and um, anybody who did not sign, all citizens had to sign on to that, agree to that, upon pain of accusation of treason, which was punishable by death, and more was, in fact, uh, beheaded. St. John Fisher, of the, there's about 25 bishops in the British Isles at that time. They all capitulated to the oath of supremacy supremacy becoming, in effect, the first Anglican or Episcopalian bishops, except for St. John Fisher, who also would not go along with it. They were in the Tower of London together, Moore and Fisher, down the aisle from one another, and eventually both beheaded. On the scaffold, uh, Moore's last speech was simply this, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. And so he placed his, his loyalty to God. Um, before all all else, and it was a matter of conscience for Moore. I always was had an affection for Thomas Moore. Uh, growing up, he seemed like a, mo- a very modern saint. My father was a lawyer. Moore was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, went to work every day like my father did. He was a layperson and had a family, had a home, 
and back uh, before you had so many uh, modern saints being uh, canonized like we have in the last 20, 30 years, um, more seemed very um, applicable to modern life. And so he's famous for writing the um, little novel Utopia, and he's, uh, which is read in a lot of English literature classes. And so a very admirable, very admirable man, um, and um, was uh, beheaded in the Tower of London, where um, uh, his, his body lies, apparently. And his, I think his, his head has been recovered, and that's in the uh, Moore vault. And at Canterbury, it's not on display. Mm-hmm. So in any case, uh, just a wonderful, just a, a wonderful example to uh, to all of us for um, perseverance in the faith under hardship and tr- trial and tribulation. Yes, amen to that. And I think, um, as you kind of stated, Father, he's the patron saint of lawyers. Yes, patron saint of lawyers and of courts and judges. And a wonderful movie. Uh, well, first of all, it was a stage play called Man for All Seasons. Right. Paul Schofield was a star, played in the, uh, was a star uh, as Thomas Moore uh, on the stage play, and then uh, segued over into the movie a few years later, Man for All Seasons, also Paul Schofield, who did a great job. Yes, he, he definitely is a saint to be emulated. And I, I think it's interesting sometimes, I've been to the Tower of London, and I haven't seen you know, any remains or anything like that in the tower. But um, you, you mentioned about Anne Boleyn, which is what kind of started this whole thing um, with uh, King Henry VIII. And um, there's actually uh, down on the grounds, there's like a square where she was beheaded. So, oh. you know, it's like he, he didn't stop it with Anne Boleyn. You know, he kept going. What is it? The eight, seven and eight wives of Henry VIII. So, you know. Okay, we had six, we had six wives. Kept going. Five were executed. He, yeah. Uh, each one of them, except for the last one, had a, he had executed, uh, accused yeah. of treason or infidelity or something. Well, another uh, little uh, piece of history I actually just want to mention, too, because, you know, within this segment of, of the time that people will be listening, is um, we will be getting our installing our new bishop in the Diocese of Harrisburg oh, on the gracious, 21st. Yeah. Um, so Bishop Timothy Sr., will be installed on the 21st, which is Wednesday. And um, I certainly wanted to make mention um, and, and gratitude and thanks to uh, Bishop Ronald Gaynor, who has been a big support of Holy Family Radio um, and all that he has done for the diocese, taking us through some troubled times through COVID. Yes. Um, they did a really nice segment in the Catholic Witness um, with some quotes from him and um, cro- doing a chronological um time uh, lapse of his uh, uh, episcopacy. And, uh, you know, it was just a very nice read. If people haven't read that already, you can read it online or you can, you get the print. I don't think they do the printed version anymore, but you can read it online. Well, but uh, I want to definitely thank... He deserves thank- a break today, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. He deserves a rest. He's taken us through the, the bankruptcy and mm-hmm. and you mentioned COVID as well. And he's been a very, very good leader. I give him a shout out for uh, the Curcio movement, which is a spiritual movement mm-hmm. uh, in the Catholic Church, worldwide spiritual movement, we're, we're, and it's active here in the Diocese of Harrisburg. I'm the spiritual advisor, sort of like the chaplain for it. It centers around a weekend. You make a, a, a weekend it's of renewal. And Bishop Gaynor has been on twice, or well, no more than that, three, about three times, but stayed the entire weekend. I've done two of them with him. There's usually a, a two clergy that... Um, uh, or, or on board is largely lay driven, 
and the, and the leadership team is largely laity, but the one or two priests, maybe a deacon at times, even a religious sister, but you have to have at least one priest. And Bishop Gaynor and I have done it twice. And uh, that's uh, astounding for a, for a bishop to actually stay for an entire uh, Crusader weekend. Mm-hmm. And, and that's very admirable in my, in my mind toward him. Yes, and um, and I'll give a shout out to Bishop Gaynor too because of his. It's amazing. There is a uh, for those of you that may not know, there is a mandatory retirement at age seventy five. So he had to put in that resignation uh, last August when he turned seventy five. But uh, my husband and I have been on two pilgrimages to Europe with Bishop Gaynor, and let me tell you something. He has a lot of energy to lead a group of you know two buses he would uh be on one bus one day and the next day he'd be on another bus and you know get up early in the morning go and see all these sites and then serve mass every day with every other day. deacons and other priests to help but you know serve mass every day on these trips and uh has a lot of stamina for uh you know a 75 plus year old so um god bless you bishop gainer thank you for everything that you've done for the diocese and we're very excited to welcome uh bishop timothy senior and well you know hopefully um uh, he has a wonderful reputation and we're looking forward to to seeing him around town bishop senior was a year behind me when he was a seminarian uh in seminary and of course he became an auxiliary bishop of Philadelphia, many years rector of the of the seminary, and also a very instrumental in the transition there, closing the current seminary, St. Charles Borromeo. Magnificent property in Philadelphia, uh, over way way over 100 years old, and uh, but very very difficult to maintain, very large, very very big. And a medical group has bought it, and they're switching over, they're downsizing, and going to relocate at Gwynedd Mercy College in uh, Gwynedd, Pennsylvania. So uh, Bishop Senior uh, had a lot to do with that, and that was a difficult transition as well, but it seems to be, they'll be uh, going into the new site, um, I think fall of 2024, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we're we're excited to have Bishop Senior on board, and I'm sure that um, it'll be a wonderful installation. I I think I can watch that live streaming because I think it's a special uh, invitation only, but I'm sure you'll be there, Father, right? Oh, yes, definitely. We'll, we will be all present and accounted for, uh, no doubt about it. Amen. Amen. So I did want, you know, talking about history and legacy, um, I did want to mention this. I have not been here, but this is on my bucket list. So National Catholic Register had a really nice article that the iconic Mont St. Michel Abbey celebrates 1,000 years this year. Um, the construction wow. of the present Abbey Church dates back to 1023, a first uh, first church dedicated to St. Michael the Archangel. Uh, it's actually said to have been built as early as 708 on the mount, then known as um, Mont Tumbe, or Tum. Um, and this is in French Normandy. And almost like if you look at pictures of it, it almost looks like it just sits right in the water. <laughs> um, but it, it's a whole millennium old, and um, it has a uh, one of the highest symbols of the French Catholic identity and one of the most important pilgrimage sites in the world. More than three million visitors a year. I know it's some place I'd like to go to. I don't know, Father. Have you been there? I've been to France, but I've never been there. And I too have seen the pictures mm-hmm. uh, where the tide comes in. It's on an island. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times the tide goes out and it's surrounded by more or less dry land, and then other other times the water comes in and and surrounds it. Uh, and there's a, there's a village there uh, with the uh, monastery, of course, right on, and the church right up on top. It looks very, very beautiful, very picturesque. Um, my my bucket list is to go to Mount Athos 
and that is a, a peninsula in Greece that contains about 20 different monasteries, Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox monasteries, oh, wow. mm. and also a very beautiful site. So that's one of my goals to make that. Um, but is the next, the next best thing is the, we just had it in May, the Greek Orthodox uh, festival in Camp Hill. Right, right. <laughs> the, the, the food festival, and uh, that is that is a. I'll give, I'll give them some free advertising. The third weekend of May, usually, mm-hmm. and after Mother's Day, and oh my gosh, it's wonderful. There must be uh, several thousand people at any one time, uh, the whole weekend, and tents set up, food galore, Greek dancers come out. Yep. And they also give the, the priest gives a talk in the uh, several times a day, two or three times a day, in the church about the, the Greek Orthodox faith. And I've I've attended those talks, and it's um, there's a little bookstore, a little gift shop there, and it just it's just fabulous. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. I actually have been there um, and done some of the Greek dancing. But some of them they like to do flips in the Greek dancing, and I said that's where I have to stop. Um, so we have um, about a minute to go. So um, if you'd like to wrap it up, Father, and give us a prayer, that would be wonderful. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Mm-hmm. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we just ask your blessings upon all of us. And on Holy Family Radio, that it would continue to grow and prosper, and, and the people would support it accordingly. Uh, we ask your special blessings on Bishop Sr., who uh, was installed the day before, if you're listening to this on June 22nd, is now in office. And we ask that his ministry be blessed, Lord, by you in every way, by the power of your Holy Spirit. May he have all the charisms and gifts and virtues that he needs. Uh, for the Episcopal office as a successor to the Apostles, Lord, and also your blessings on Bishop Gaynor as he enjoys retirement. And we ask, Lord, that all the families, all households represented out there in Radio Land uh, be blessed. Keep us always in your love. Help us to have a really great summer through Christ our Lord. And may Almighty God bless you all. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.